the main user um, that Ocean uh, serves the best right now is data scientists, um, because it's data scientists who um, work with data and know how to create value from data, typically by building uh, AI models or just simple machine learning models, whatever. And then from that, you know, making predictions from the predictions, um, choosing actions, selecting actions, and then executing on those actions, right? This is season two of Voices of the Data Economy, a podcast supported by Ocean Protocols Foundation. We bring to you the voices shaping the data economy and challenging it at the same time. Listen to founders, tech policy experts, and pioneers in impact investing, all sharing their relationship with data. So hello and welcome to a new episode of Voices of the Data Economy, indeed the first episode of 2023. And we are back with Trent McConaughey, founder of Ocean Protocol. How are you, Trent? Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, actually, it's great to have you back after exactly one year because I was just going through uh, my notes, you know, and we spoke in December 2021. And one of the things I specifically remember from that interview is that we were really speaking about Ocean V4 at that point, And you were emphasizing on three things that Ocean V3 wants to solve. That is like rug pulls, focus on data NFTs, and help the community monetize more. And now we are in 2023. A lot has happened with Ocean. There is we um, Ocean. There is data farming, and I mean I can't wait to listen about it. But there might be some people who are listening to this uh, podcast for the very first time. So I'll open it right away for you. In 2023, where is Ocean right now, and what is the focus of the core team at Ocean? What are you working on? What excites you? What is your focus? Enlighten us. For sure. So, you know, Ocean as a project uh, was conceived in uh, late 2016, and really we started to, to dive deep in 2017. And for the first five years of the project, we we were building steadily, building the uh, infrastructure needed to, to solve, you know, a bunch of different tough problems that we saw, um, such as uh, sovereign data ownership, uh, solving private data, you know, reconciling with crypto, um, pricing data, um, and many other related things. So um, we, you know, we laid that out in the first, in the white paper that came out in 2017, and for several years with V1, V2, V3, V4, uh, we were building that out. Um, now we have built all of that out. We're very happy with what we built, and the focus is now doubling down on traction. So we have been, you know, working with various um, users and customers over the last number of years, engaging, engaging. But now that sort of we built everything we set out to build, um, as including the the learnings from our our users and customers along the way. Now it's doubling down, saying, okay, we've got this really great infrastructure in place that took a lot a lot of work, a, a lot of thinking, a lot of building. Um, so really, really, the focus is is traction. And how we measure traction is data consumed volume, which is um, how much um, data is being uh, bought and sold in any given week or month um, through the ocean ecosystem on ocean market and other markets powered by ocean contracts. 
So that's really the focus overall, sort of going forward for the Ocean team, core team and, and beyond. Um, and then within the core team, um, it's, you know, a lot more tactics around that. So less about an Ocean V5 and much more about just iterating um, rapid iterations um, on various um, things to drive traction, right? So um, instead of sort of one big project like the next VX right now, it's um, a series of um, more focused projects around uh, working with, with users, things like, you know, uh, data challenges for predicting the price of ETH, things like data farming, which is an incentive program to um, where the objective function is data consume volume. And it's an incentive program for, you know, people to publish and to stake um, ocean and so on. So that's really the focus, um, you know, for 2023 and, and beyond, you know, at some point, you know, we, we could have another version. Uh, we likely will. But right now, we're just doubling down on um, uh, driving data consume volume, aka traction for Ocean, um, and, and you know, building on the really great infrastructure that we built over the last several years. So, are you? Um, would you say that you were able to achieve everything that you planned for 2022, and what worked and what did not? Yeah. So, uh, broadly speaking, yes, we we, we met our goals, um, and we're pretty happy about that. Um, some things came out differently than we had uh, uh, anticipated at the be beginning of the year, but differently for the better. Um, so maybe, you know, given that you have listeners that haven't been following Ocean closely, um, you know, I mentioned in 2017, we published our white paper and then um, we, we did our V1, V2, V3, V4. V1 was data sovereignty. This is the idea of not your keys, not your data, just like Bitcoin is not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Um, and that's the idea of self-custody of Bitcoin. So in, in, um, you can translate that to self-custody of data, which is um, you only truly own the data as in have access to the data if you have the private keys and control them yourself. If you want, you can give those keys to others. But as a baseline, you um, uh, you know give those keys to others to manage. But as a baseline, you should be able to control them yourself via your own wallets, whether it's a, a hardware wallet, whether it's MetaMask, some way and a wallet is just simply a way to manage a private key right so it could be a brain wallet aka you know storing the private key in your head so that was the v1 was um sovereign management and control of your data and we accomplished that we shipped that v2 was saying okay you've got sovereign control of the data but what about when you want to share that data with others if they you know just download the data set for example then they have that data and what's stopping them from passing it on to others to others to others and, you know, there's lots of different privacy technology that has been researched over the years, everything from homomorphic encryption to multi-party compute, all that. And we had looked at many possibilities. And at the end of the day, we realized the simplest thing um, that could possibly work that was, um, you know, production ready was um, so mundane that it wasn't even showing up at crypto conferences or privacy conferences. And that was simply bring the compute to the data such that the data never leaves the premises of whoever has it. And um, we combine that with a crypto context within the ocean um smart contracts, et cetera, and call that compute to data, right? So, and it actually, you know, it's not a new invention per se. The idea of compute to data goes back to database theory of the of the 60s and 70s. But um, we we brought it in this crypto context in a very pragmatic way. So that's, you know, the V2, compute to data. V3 was saying, okay, uh, our V1 and V2, the smart contracts that we had built with Ocean, et cetera, they're a bit more complicated than we liked. Um, they weren't as interoperable. They didn't play well with the rest of the um, smart contracts on Ethereum. But we realized that we could tokenize them. We could say, 
um, we can basically have token gated access to data. So um, if I have a data set and I want to share it with you, if you have one of the tokens to um, that I've shared to you somehow, then you can access the data set. And of course, you know, if there's 10 different people that uh, each one access the data set, they'd each have one token and those tokens are fungible, right? Not NFTs, they're fungible tokens. And there's a standard for that called ERC-20. So we said, okay, let's have this thing called a data token where there could be 10 or 50 or 10,000 data tokens for a given data asset. And if any one person has one of those data tokens, then they can access the data set. And that was the core idea of Ocean V3. And so a data token is an ERC-20 token that if anyone has the data token for that data set, they can um, access it. And um, that was the big innovation for V3 and it enabled Ocean to be much more interoperable with the rest of um, you know, the Ethereum ecosystem and other EVM-based chains. Because uh, now, you know, in your wallet, if you want to manage token access, um, you, there's already wallets to not only hold private keys, but to hold ERC-20 tokens themselves. So if I have, you know, tokens from five different data sets, then it, can show, it would show up as five different assets on, on my MetaMask or my Trezor or whatever. So, so that really helped, as well as it meant that these tokens could play well with DeFi. Um, any DeFi tools that were put out there, you know, for the future, things like AMMs or loans or whatever. And in fact, as a V3, we had it where you could have fixed price pricing, um, just a fixed price, as well as these um, automatic pricing with um, AMMs, automatic mar market makers. So that was our V3. Um, and then our V4, um, V3, you know, that was, um, we started to get really great traction with V3. Um, a lot of people, you know, um, uh, putting, uh, adding liquidity to these AMM based token um, pools and stuff like that. Um, and then we saw that there was uh, a few issues and possible refinements, um, three things in specific that we saw, and that's what led to the V4. Uh, one thing was we saw that for a given data asset, people might want to have different license terms. Um, and a good example is, um, let's talk about music for a second. Let's say that you are um, ACDC and um, everyone who knows me knows I love ACDC. <laughs> anyway, um, um, anyway uh, so let's say you, you know, put out the album um, uh, uh, Back in Black and that, that you know, you, so you've um, got the master tapes and I, I forget who ACDC went through, let's say Universal Music. So Universal Music. You know, ACDC recorded the album and ha had the basic copyright, but then they they transferred the full IP of that to Universal Music. So Universal Music has the full control. But then Universal Music, um, they can go and sell CDs or tapes or licenses to radio stations or licenses to um, to Spotify, etc. And so if someone goes and buys a CD, they are not only buying the physical artifact for ACDC Back in Black, they are buying a license to be able to listen to that um, music for personal use. It's a license from that base IP that uh, Universal Music owns. Um, if they buy a tape, it's a license that's a very similar license, but of course it's for manifested in the tape as opposed to the CD. If you're Spotify, then Spotify has its license with Universal Music for ACDC Back in Black. And um, so there's basically for that same base IP, you've got different licenses. You've got licenses for C CDs, for tapes, for um, for the, the streaming. Um, uh, players as well as for the radio stations and more, right? And we, we realized that with data, it's similar, right? Like data is IP, copyright style IP, the same way that music is um, copyright style IP. As a, And, you know, there's copyrights, there's trademarks, there's patents. So we're focusing on copyright. That's what data is. Um, 
so so uh, we said, okay, for that base IP, then um, you need to uh, be able to have different licenses, such as, let's say I have a, a data set of my DNA, okay? Maybe I want to license it to you for just one day, or maybe I want to license it to you for one year. Maybe I want to license it um, to a DAOs. And, and when I mean license, it could be you know you for your personal use. It could be you where you resell it. Different license terms, right? Against that same base IP. So um, we we decided to, uh, in order to do that, we had to say, let's take this starting point of these data tokens and make it where the data token is like a license. And um, the, the base IP is a, an NFT, a non-fungible token. So, and that kind of makes sense, right? So if you go back to ACDC, um, the base IP, which is basically the copyright rights or you know the exclusive rights that Universal Music got from ACDC, the band, um, that would be the non-fungible aspect, right? Um, the master tapes, if you will. And then every different set of license terms is a different license, et cetera. Um, so that, uh, you know, you can make, map that all directly to crypto. So, so the base IP is NFTs and the licenses are different data token contracts. So if you have three different types of license terms, you would have three different data tokens. Um, and, you know, data token contracts or each data token, you can have 10 or a thousand, whatever of them into. So we built that for V4 and that gave a lot of flexibility um, to various things, you know, where I can now license my DNA data to you for one day um, for personal use to some corporation for one year for um, reselling, whatever, whatever, right? Um, so that was the first thing we did with V4. And by the way, V4, Ocean V4 got shipped in um, spring of, of 2022. I think uh, May it was, something like that, give or take. Um, the second thing was, um, uh, to solve rug pulls, an issue we had with the AMMs in uh, V3 was rug pulls, and uh, where and a rug pull is simply where um, the publisher, if if you uh, publish uh, um, a data NFT or or data token and then you put it into a pool, you're kind of like the whale because you can mint as many of those data tokens as you want. But then um, if other people start staking in that, what's stopping you from minting a whole bunch of tokens into that pool and then sort of taking all the stake? Um, and the liquidity, I should say, it, um, it's better labeled than, than stake. Um, and so we came up with a solution to that called one-sided staking. And I'll get into a bit more details on that. But we were pretty happy with the solution. Uh, and we shipped that. The third was um, um, better monetization. So in V3, we had some um, basic monetization. The main one being, of course, that anyone who publishes the asset can... Um, uh, get paid whenever people buy it, of course. And then also there was a monetization in the pools. Uh, whoever was um, staking in a pool would get a cut. But what about um, you know, the marketplace where um, people had initially published the asset? You know, they don't get any monetization unless they are staking and um, themselves. And same thing with the marketplace wherever the 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 asset was bought or sold. Right? The the marketplace doesn't get a cut direct. Didn't get a cut directly in V3. So we said, okay, for V4, let's make this uh, a lot more uh, fine-grained. So there's um, basically the full gamut of monetization options. And this was based on you know, feedback from our, our users and our customers, et cetera, from v V3 and V4. You know, Daimler is a driver of this. You know, Daimler, um, they have a spinoff called Eccentric, where they have now built and shipped a, a, a data marketplace based on Ocean Technology. It's based on Ocean V4 now, of course. So we iterated with them quite closely and um, such that at the end, there are um, uh, lots of different um, monetization opportunities for data publishers and beyond. So if you're a marketplace, 
um, that's just focusing on people publishing, you can get a cut. Um, and you get a cut whenever published, as well as later on when that asset is um, bought or sold and when the asset is consumed. Um, similarly, similarly, if you are the marketplace where people are buying or selling the asset, you get a cut as well um, there. And um, and finally, of course, the um, the publisher gets a cut. And one more thing too, uh, within Ocean, there's a component called provider. It's basically you can be your own provider where you're serving up the data set, but if you're willing to, um, if it, you know, you can also delegate uh, control to someone else, saying, "Hey, you can um, you can be a publish uh, a provider on my behalf to serve up that data set, etc." And um, if someone else is doing it now, they can get a cut of that too. And um, so basically, lots of monetization options. Uh, that's quite fine grain control and. This fits a variety of different use cases, you know, some identified by our collaborations with Daimler, et cetera. So those are the three things that we shipped in V4. To summarize once again, um, data NFTs in addition to data tokens to uh, map base IP and licenses against the base IP, um, solving rug pulls on the pools, and finally, um, better monetization for the community. So those are the things that we shipped in uh, Ocean V4. Um, and maybe I'll pause there to see if you have questions and then I can talk about, you know, we shipped that then. And then for the last, um, you know, the rest of the year, um, also a lot of cool stuff happened. So I can just talk about yes, that. Yes, yes. Would love to know. Um, I think another question, uh, you know, while you were talking about Daimler and different use cases and uh, publisher, user, I, I'm curious about, you know, the user group of Ocean because I've seen that evolve since I've started following the project, you know, for the last two, three mm -hmm. years. So how do you really see that chart or structure in your mind in terms of, you know, who's using Ocean and who can use Ocean? Yeah. How do you explain that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways to, to slice and dice it. One of them is um, by vertical. And then one of it is sort of by job profession or whatever, if you will, right? So by vertical, um, because it's data, um, in a sort of theoretical sense, it applies to almost any vertical, right? It can apply to, you know, automotive data, like um, like Daimler is doing. It can apply to personal social media data um, or other personal data like health data, et cetera. And there's several projects within Ocean Ecosystem that are focusing on personal data, um, typically via DAOs, because most people don't want to manage their data themselves that much. So you can have sort of collective bargaining around that. Um, whether it's 100 or 10,000 or 10 million people together in a DAO, that can be very helpful. And this is um, projects like uh, DataUnion.app um, and, and others. There's also, um, uh, besides that, there's, for personal data, another way is sort of an automated DAO, call it, where thing, the data gets automatically aggregated and sold. And that happens via things like federated learning. So automatically taking data across you know, 100 or 10 million people, and then giving, uh, supplying, doing compute on it and supplying the aggregate results, whether it's averages or fancier compute. And there's a project called Felt Token that is building um, technology, you know, front-end apps, et cetera, around that, um, back-end and front-end apps as part of the Ocean ecosystem. So besides the personal data, um, the other type, I guess there's three ways to slice this, right? There's um, there's the, the verticals, the job professions, and... Um, sort of going from individual to higher level groups. So I'm going to go talk about the latter first because it's going to be straightforward. So the, the individuals, personal data, I've talked a bit about. Um, and just think of all the data that you yourself emanate, whether it's social media or location data, stuff on your phone, et cetera. 
Um, the next one up, you know, you, you start to group people into larger and larger groups. Um, so this is um, families, um, NGOs, uh, small businesses, and then, you know, medium-sized businesses, large enterprises, um, and then um, country, like cities, um, provinces, uh, countries, and international, right? So uh, from top to bottom, kind of any of those um, slices of civilization, if you will, um, can, um, can use ocean in various ways. Uh, and, you know, I talked about personal for families, um, you know, it can be sort of like personal, just like you have, you know, last pass or whatever family sharing last pass for, for better or for worse. You know, you can use ocean data NFTs to do that much better, by the way. Um, and then, uh, you know, higher and higher going up to the level of the nation state. Um, this is where, you know, Germany, um, uh, and Europe uh, kicked off the Gaia X project, and uh, which is about um, data sharing um, that uh, to help reclaim data sovereignty from for European citizens and for German citizens, French citizens, etc. And within that, the Gaia X project, um, we actually have uh, uh, quite deep involvement there um, in the Gaia X main project, as well as many spokes, whether it's the agricultural data hub, financial data hub, etc. And uh, our main collaborators on, on that front are the, the, uh, the excellent folks at Delta Dow, um, and they've just been doing excellent work there, working with the Gaia X um, folks and otherwise. So really good progress on that front as well. Um, and um, yeah, it sort of it goes up and down the different levels, right? Sort of at the city level, for example, um, one collaboration is actually via Delta Dow. They're collaborating with the um, the Berlin uh, library ecosystem um, institutions there, as an example, right? So, so that's um, sort of the slices and dices of people, um, individuals to higher and higher levels. Um, in terms of professions, um, the main ones uh, right now, you know, well, so just to start with, the main user um, that Ocean uh, serves the best right now is data scientists, um, because it's data scientists who. Um, work with data and know how to create value from data, typically by building uh, AI models or just simple machine learning models, whatever. And then from that, you know, making predictions from the predictions, um, choosing actions, selecting actions, and then executing on those actions, right? And so, um, and I can talk about different verticals, but um, one example is within DeFi, as a simple example where if I can predict the price of ETH um, 10 minutes from now um, in a way that, uh, you know, I'm right more often than I'm wrong, then um, from that, I can make an action saying, you know, buy versus uh, don't buy and then, you know, buy the ETH and then 10 minutes after that, sell it, you know, always no matter what, say, right. And by doing that, then um, that's sort of closing the loop, this sort of data value creation loop where I have... Um, you know, bought some data from Ocean, or, um, and then um, to to, uh, to help me, and then from that, I am um, building a model, predicting the price of ETH from that model in 10 minutes, and then um, uh, someone else is uh, buying that data, using that prediction, and then um, using that prediction to make actions, uh, the action of buy or not buy, and then, um, you know, on average, making money with that, right? So that's one example where it's a very fast loop of, of going from, you know, um, the, the creation of the data or paying for the data to making money from it. And then once you make money from it, of course, you buy the data again and again and you loop around, loop around, right? 
And of course, the person who's doing the predictions, they could sell that those predictions themselves, but and they can also use it themselves. And, and why not both, right? Um, and it kind of depends on the nature of the data and how valuable they think it is. But if they think it's really valuable, just sell it for more too, right? So you know, everything is a price. <laughs> so um, so that's one example there um, for uh, you know data scientists. But then of course, overall, um, it's not just you know that's a very simplistic view of it. Um, but you know you can have data brokers and the data brokers go around um, looking at data that others are selling and then you know bundling it in ways to make it easier for others to consume um and then uh you know there's stuff that's sort of more towards the consumer right like uh, um with several of these teams say the data union app and otherwise they are targeting more the final consumer right and um like consumer as in not consumer of data per se, but you know a person as a like consumer as opposed to a professional B two B person, or whatever, right? Um, so that is uh, the rough uh, focus in the middle. So you've got your data publishers, your data consumers, data consumers in this case, um, as well as uh, within the Ocean ecosystem, you can stake as in point uh, locked Ocean tokens towards various data set and to earn that way. So there's um, and that helps basically with curation um, to help identify the high quality data sets. So, so far I've covered two or three yeah. things. I'll, I'll be quick on this third one. Sorry about that. So I've t <laughs> oh, I, I went from like individ individual to, to small groups, to large groups, to, to cities and nation states beyond. I've talked about um, different roles uh, at the heart of it. You've got publishers and data consumers and then professions, things like data scientists, data brokers, et cetera, using it. And then finally, which verticals and um, you know, like I've mentioned, Ocean can kind of serve any vertical, whether it's, you know, healthcare, automotive, uh, or whatever. Um, it's, you know, generalized data. And then um, from that, we ultimately, you know, I believe that Ocean will become ubiquitous. I think we're nicely on track for that. We're working very hard at it, of course. And, you know, how do you get to ubiquity um, and its sustained growth over long periods of time, right? You know, um, Facebook has become ubiquitous right now. Um, it started off with just, you know, college students in, in Harvard. But then it spread to one university at a time, and eventually, after years and years of sustained growth, it became ubiquitous. And um, hopefully, it won't be ubiquitous forever because it's centralized, um, and typically things fade. Um, but uh, you know, Ocean, I hope it becomes ubiquitous, and in you know, with its decentral uh, decentralized goals, et cetera, um, and, and that way, it becomes infrastructure for civilization, right? Just like TCP/IP. Just like uh, the, the web protocols on top, so Ocean, you know, builds on top of web protocols as its own protocol as infrastructure for civilization. So, in terms of which verticals, um, you know, ultimately, you know, which ones will pop first? Uh, we've done our own analysis within the core team, and uh, along two axes. One of them is um, what is the time needed for going through the data value creation loop. From you know buying or creating data to then finally making money from buying that data, whatever. Um, so like DeFi is fast, for example, that way it's on the order of ten minutes, you know, a day. And something that would be slow would be like using data for drug discovery, um, because you know if you're a big pharma company or a small pharma company, you um, use that to to discover a drug, drug to design a drug, but then you need to go through FDA approval, etc. So we're talking five years, ten years before you've really monetized it, right? So it's a huge, and everything else is in between, right? Um, you know, say music is in between or uh, automotive is in between, whatever. Some things are faster, some things are slower. Um, so that's the extremes that way. That's one dimension is um, the speed by which you can go through the data value creation loop. 
The other axis is simply um, the size of the market um, that and the impact you can have. So just call it total addressable market, right? It's a classic way of assessing. And so some markets are very small, right? Like if you focus on, you know, just agriculture in, uh, you know, um, Melford, rural Saskatchewan, Melford, Saskatchewan, where I'm from, you know, maybe the total addressable market there is like 5K a year, $5,000 okay. or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But um but uh, other markets are, you know, massive um, on the order of, you know, billions or tens of billions or more. And, um, you know, like, uh, you know, traditional Wall Street is uh, massive for data, right? People do spend um, billions or tens of billions on data there. Uh, traditional uh, web, web one, web two advertising industry. Um, this is where, you know, Google and Facebook make all their money. So they are data plays in, in that sense um, where they're making all the revenue from that, right? So, um, and then how, you know, and it's how much can Ocean make an impact on those two, of course. So then you can say, okay, well, which things are, you know, top right, right? Which ones, which um, verticals are fast um, in terms of data value creation loop, as well as, um, you know, large total addressable market. And we see that um, the, the fat, you know, the, the lowest hanging fruit is DeFi, decentralized finance. Um, and then there's some other ones that are, Adjacent, um, such as uh, some traditional finance stuff, um, decentralized social, like we're seeing with, um, you know, potential um, decentralized Twitter, decentralized email, all that. Um, and, and there's more too. But uh, whereas, you know, something like, um, say, uh, yeah, uh, traditional healthcare drug discovery, where, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you discover the drug to monetize it, you're talking 10 years. So, so yeah, those are, that's, um, hopefully that answered your question. It's pretty yeah. thorough, I guess. But the, the yeah, the summary is that um, where we're seeing traction for ocean uh, is there's people actually in the ocean ecosystem kind of across the board, right? Some are taking, a, um, uh, you know, are being very patient and going for the, the longer term stuff. You know, uh, medium term stuff is like Daimler, eccentric, all that. Longer term stuff, there are people going for health and so on within the ecosystem. Um, and there's also people going for the near term stuff. And um, the Ocean Core team, you know, is making sure that the stack stays general to serve all of our users, builders, etc. And at the same time, we, we put a bit of a bias towards DeFi simply because uh, we see that it's a great way to get um, early uh, uh, traction in, in a meaningful way with real numbers. So I'll stop there. I mean, we all know that we need more DeFi in 2023 after what we have gone through, you know, in, in this year. So, um, actually, I was going to ask you uh, this, um, but I think you partially, and now I understand uh, that how will be your, uh, what will be your focus. So, like any other blockchain project, you know, most of the time they have this uh, problem of reaching out to their target audience or say channels or sectors. And especially when it comes to, I, I feel like there have been data scientists on this podcast before. and. They have a lot of questions when it comes to like blockchain, Web3. Okay, how do I use this? And and But the very fact that they are curious, that's why they come on this podcast. So I think a question is that what is Ocean's approach to actually reach to these potential users who are curious, but maybe not in that area of super confident to, to use Ocean, you know? So... What are you doing? Are you working with your community, with your marketing team, or I don't know, as founders? Like, what are the few yeah. steps you're taking in that area? Uh, yeah, happy to answer that. Um, 
And a quick summary is making um, OceanPy or Python um, library really easy to use and then um, engagement and uh, channels that data scientists would expect. Um, but uh, I'll be more specific. And what I'm going to do is uh, so far I've covered what we did with Ocean from 2017 until the spring of 2022. I'm going to cover the last half of 2022 as well. Um, and because a lot of that will answer your question implicitly. So um, when we released Ocean V4, uh, we had solved these three problems, right? Um, which was uh, the base IP data NFTs, um, the solved rug pulls, and mon um, better monetization for community. Um, within uh, a month or two, um, we had, uh, what had happened was uh, it turns out that there was a, a potential exploit in the, the pools, in the AMMs, and someone came along and was actually draining some of the pools. Um, and of course that wasn't very healthy mm -hmm. for anyone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I see that, you know, we, I look back, it would have been greater to even verify, um, you know, that technology better, better, better. But then we realized, you know, we're spending, um, so much time on these pools and iterating there. Um, and at the same time, you know, we have it where we had just really, actually, I'm going to rewind. We released before. Before those attacks happened, um, we actually also launched data farming. And data farming was something that we had been uh, dreaming of for years. In fact, the original, original Ocean White Paper um, covered that um, in, in a slightly different form, where at the heart of it, it's, um, it's an incentives to, to publish and stake and ultimately to drive data consumed volume. Um, just like, you know, Bitcoin, uh, you know, it has a, a core incentive. It will reward you if you add to the security of the Bitcoin um, network and it measures security of the Bitcoin network as how much compute power you're putting into it. Um, and, uh, and so that's sort of, so Bitcoin rewards you, you know, every 10 minutes um, you get rewarded. Um, you can expect a reward that's um, pro rata, how, what percentage of um, compute you're giving to the Bitcoin network. Okay. So with ocean, uh, we wanted to reward you, uh, pro rata, basically to how much uh, you're contributing to data consume volume. Um, you know, to, to, and consume is really, you know, much better than just publish because it's then about measuring, it's about closing the data value creation loop, right? It's not just publishing, but it's also people buying the data and, and consuming it. So, um, we wanted to measure that. And so data farming, uh, we released that, um, in early summer as an incentive program where you get if you uh yeah you get rewarded based on uh data consume volume and it's not just that it's also based on stake and that's sort of your way of getting involved in a sense so uh with data farming you would um initially you know when we launched it it was how much liquidity you would have in a given data token pool and then what is the volume the data consume volume of that data asset for that data token pool and um that was, you know, pretty cool. We were pretty happy with it uh, as a first cut. Um, then this pool, uh, but there was one complaint that people had in which was they would uh, uh, add liquidity to one of these pools. Um, but then, you know, pools can have impermanent loss. You know, we'd solved the rug pool, pro rug pool problem, but they could still have impermanent loss. And so people, and, and we saw, okay, well, this is just a fact of life of pools like AMMs, automated market makers. Um, but of course, um, a lot of people just wanted to, you know, have some way to lock ocean. They didn't mind curating in some way, um, and, and then to get a yield on that. And, uh, you know, and we also saw that, you know, we would love to support more than just the automated pricing, um, 
you know, the AMMs, we also would love to have uh, data farming for free assets and for fixed price assets. So those are a couple of problems that we had identified that we wanted to solve. Um, and then along came this uh, attacker and basically drained uh, several pools using a particular trick. Within, uh, I think, half a day, we had found a way to basically white hat attack back mm -hmm. and stop the attacker, which was, wow. um, you know, yeah, we were we, we found a way, which was I, I was pretty happy with us. We iterated yeah. quickly. And um, and then then we were like, OK, we've stopped this. But it was also essentially froze the ability for anyone to really effectively use the pools. Right. So we had to um, find a way uh, to, to fix that. And uh, definitively. Right. And because of this, um, you know, there was this attack, this draining problem. But then also we, we saw, you know, there was the issue of impermanent loss, where when you stake in a pool, you know, maybe you put 100 ocean in, you come back a month later, you, you, you think you're taking out 100 ocean, but you only get 50 ocean. Right. And that can happen. Um, that can happen with basically any AMM out there. There's some specialized designs, but that's the typical way. Um, and that was a problem for people who just wanted to get yield and, and so on, you know. So, of course, you can get more, too, but typically the arbitrageurs um, get a lot more rewards than the typical person. So um, how do you solve that? And then how do we solve the problem of free assets um, for data farming and fixed price assets for data farming and the pool draining attack? And um, we we had actually a design kind of half sitting on the table, but we really racked our brains and um, uh, we, we you know put our heads together. And within a couple of days, we came up with a solution, which is what we built and shipped in fall of 2022, which is uh, VE Ocean okay. uh, with data farming on top. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and it actually I'm very, very happy with the design because it actually ha has many great aspects. So. First of all, it stopped all the issues from before. So we no longer had the issue of um, draining attack. Well, so we, we shipped VE Ocean with data farming and we actually um, stopped shipping the pools completely. So, um, and uh, this actually solved several problems at once. So from an engineering standpoint, we are quite happy. Um, and I'll, I'll describe. So first of all, what is VE Ocean? Yes. Um, let's rewind a couple of years. There's this macro level problem in crypto um, of how do you reconcile near term greed with long term incentives, right? So, you know, you've got the people who want to just sort of ape into something, make their 2x in a week or a month and then ape out or maybe, you know, and, and, and you know, take the profits and go. Um, and, you know, if you would have asked me three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, I would have said, yeah, just ignore those people. But the, the fact of the matter is in crypto, they exist and it it's. You, you should try to make your system like be somewhat attractive to them, even if they're not your main target. But um, you still want to be interesting to them if you can. To me, you know, ultimately, though, I want to serve the, the people who are the builders thinking long term. Right. Um, and so then how do you reconcile that? Right. You know, the, the, I really want to make sure we serve the builders well, especially the builders around data, the data scientists um, and so on. And then the long term, you know, people who want to um, invest for, you know, ocean uh, data ecosystem long term. So how do you reconcile all this? And Curve came up with this design um, back during I read it the about middle of DeFi summer. So that who was uh, what? Sorry, I'm uh, sorry. Curve. Okay. Curve Labs. Okay. So they can So they have a token called CRV, mm -hmm. and and they launched a VE Curve. Um, I guess it was two years ago, maybe three now. And um, it was a very cool design because it reconciled the near term and the long term. And how it worked is the following. 
um, you can take your CRV and lock it. And if you lock it for four years, if you lock one CRV token for four years, then you get one VE CRV token. At the end of four years, your your original CRV token gets unlocked, but you can't move it in the meantime. So, um, and it's like, well, why would you do that? And the answer is you get yield. So, um, and you get um, basically rewards um, from the curve ecosystem, from revenue of the protocol, et cetera, um, as a function of how much VE curve you hold. So um, if you have taken one curve and locked it for four years, you get one VE curve. Great. And then you're going to be getting rewards from that. And, um, and it can be, you know, the, the, the yield per year, depending, uh, it can be, you know, 2%, 5%, 10% or more even, right? 20% or more. APY, as is often said in crypto. Um, so uh, that, you know, people are incentivized to do that. Now, it turns out, though, that if you imagine if you lock instead of um, four years, you lock for two years. Well, if you do that, then you only get half of a VE curve, and then your yield is half as well. If you lock for one year instead of four years, you only get a quarter of the yield. So you are incentivized, um, if you really, really want to max out your yield to get, say, 20%, then you have to lock for four years. If you lock for um, two years, you get half of that, say, 10%. If you lock for one year, you get uh, a quarter, you know, so uh, 5%. Smart. So, um, yeah, it's very cool, right? Mm. Um, and so th that turned out to be... Um, very, very uh, interesting to the, the DeFi community, um, the apes, the degens, really? as well as the, the people who are long-term bullish on, on Curve, yeah. Uh -huh. And in fact, well, the apes and degens even found some interesting um, ideas around where they had, uh, they could, uh, along came um, something called Convex, okay. which basically had liquid uh, staking. Uh, but I won't get into that here, so... Um, Why not? Uh, actually, I'll give them. I, I'll get into a bit, sure, because yeah. it's it's interesting. Yeah. So, um, so basically, Convex said we're gonna uh, lock stuff for four years, but mm -hmm. you can actually um, lock and unlock into us, stake and unstake into us whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And and that became so there is basically kind of this battle where Convex itself started taking a lot of the VE curve, and then you know the the apes can come in for you know. Um, one day, one one month, whatever, and come out again. But as far as Curve was concerned, they didn't mind in the sense of, um, you know, they've got lots of Curve locked up, so it's okay, <laughs> right? So um, so basically in Ocean, we saw that, you know what? Oh, yeah, so after that, uh, other smart protocol teams saw this and realized, you know, this could really work well for our ecosystem too. And so Balancer, you know, it's um, one of the leading AMMs out yes, there. Yes. I think it might be number two after Uniswap. Mm -hmm. And it, it's sort of the leading AMM among builders. So if you want to um, integrate an AMM into your um, uh, protocol itself, Balancer is a really great choice. It's super flexible, et cetera. We use it, of course. Um, and so the Balancer team, they said, you know, let's copy and paste the curve contracts, make VE Bell. And and run with that, and so they did, and it also worked very well for them. So now they've got you know VE Bell out there. A very good per percentage of um, BAL holders, BAL holders have uh, locked into VE Bell, and um, you know this just benefits across the board, right? It's sort of like an optimize on your token, right? Did, because did they say it's, thank you, right? you? Uh, did, no, actually, no. That they came up with it independently of me. Okay. Um, I, I think I think I'm, I was nudging them. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I mean, lots of people were looking at it, and I've actually been an advisor to Balancer since its founding, so I, you know, I'm fairly close to that team. And um, but this was independent of me, um, I believe. Uh, but of course, I'm following closely and iterating closely, and yeah. um, I saw the success of it there. 
but there's other teams that adopted it too. Um, so we're uh, so the New Order team. These are the guys that released uh, the H2O token, uh, which is um, a stablecoin backed solely by Ocean Token, and that came out right at the beginning of this year, if I recall. Um, and that's that's uh, sorry, not a stable coin. It's a stable asset because it's not pegged to US dollar or anything. Um, so it's basically just so everyone probably knows about Dai. It's a stable coin that is pegged to the US dollar. Um, and then, uh, but of course, it has it's backed by many many things. You know, initially it was backed just by ETH, but then it became backed by a bunch of other assets, including USDC, which is centralized. And you know that um, you know makes a lot of people who really like decentralization uneasy, right? It's yeah, um, over time, you know, it'll get more diversified, but that's how Dai is right now. So along came Rai, which basically said, let's be like the initial vision of Dai, where it's backed only by ETH. One asset that's decentralized, as well as uh, remove governance, um, make it as automated as possible. So, um, so instead of you know having people voting on different tokens and voting on different um, interest rates, etc., just ha- um, don't have voting on tokens. Have one token and replace the voting on interest rate with simply um, a very simple system, uh, uh, um, a feedback control system, a negative feedback control system. So that's what it did. And Rai has been out there, RAI, for um, I don't know, two years, three years. Um, and it's an excellent system, right? Um, it's done very well. It follows its um, what it needs to do. And um, the H2O team, and that it's not pegged to the US dollar. It's um, it's uh, you know it's sort of free floating, and you can think of it like a low pass filter. It shifts and changes a bit over time, um, but uh, it's not pegged to US dollar or anything. So that also makes it you know not a stable coin. Um, not under the ire of um, any you know uh, nation state out there. So the H2O team came along and said, hey, you know, uh, it would be really useful to have a stable asset for the ocean ecosystem. And then they, they took the Rai design and they forked it. And instead of being backed by ETH, they have it forked by Ocean, right? And they work closely with the Rai team, et cetera, Reflexor Labs, et cetera, okay. around that. Um, so that, and that was released, I believe, at the beginning of this year, of 2022. Um, and I, you know, I think, and the team is excellent. You know, it's part of the new, it, uh, new order is sort of this incubator in DeFi. And they've done several really great projects, and um, H2O is one of them. They also did uh, Redacted Cartel, um, which is also part of these curve wars with VE Curve and so on, and some other things too. So the H2O team did that, and um, and then you know we did VE Ocean, and um, then uh, you know I was talking about the curve wars. First there was cur- uh, Curve, then there was VE Curve, the you know the the locked curve um, with rewards, etc., reconciling near and short term. And then on top of that, there was Convex, which is um, for the people who want to do uh, liquid staking on top of E-Curve. Um, it's similar in the Ocean ecosystem now. So in the beginning, there was Ocean. And then along came VE Ocean, which is, you know, you can lock Ocean to get VE Ocean, reconcile near-term and long-term. And then on top of that, you can actually have liquid staking on VE Ocean. And that is available via PSDN Ocean from the H2O team. So, um, so that's actually, that came out, um, soon after VE Ocean came out, um, it's by the H2O team and it's pretty cool too. And what that does is overall, um, it makes, uh, it reconciles near and long-term in a nice way. And then also the absolute degens can also go in and use PSG and Ocean and, you know, stake and unstake how, how they like, right. And there's, you know, very good APYs and all this stuff too. So, um, I wanted to get back then to, you know, the sort of second half of 2022, um, and towards your overall questions then. So um, I had mentioned uh, 
that we had turned off the uh, the pools, the AMMs, and we had um, introduced VE Ocean, and and then also we have to have something around data farming. And what does this do? So I'll just talk. I'll I'll, I'll talk about the mechanisms and then uh, what what benefits this has. So first of all, we introduced VE Ocean, like I described. You you can lock your ocean for up to four years, get VE Ocean, and then from that you get rewards. And then what are the rewards? So this is data farming. So we rebooted data farming again. Once, you know, we paused it, of course, when the pools got turned off. So we rebooted it. And we said, um, for any given week, uh, we're going to give out, um, right now it's 50,000 ocean a week. Um, and it's going to go up higher and higher later on. So for any given week, of that 50,000 ocean a week, 25,000 ocean goes to pro rata to the VE ocean holders. So if you hold um, 10% of all VE Ocean out there, then you'll get um, 10% of 25,000 Ocean. So 2.5,000 Ocean, 2,500 Ocean in a given week. Just for that, you don't have to do anything else. It's just passive. Um, and that is, um, we really wanted to serve the people who you know, were not deeply engaged in the ocean ecosystem, but really care about ocean long-term. They're just too busy to deeply engage. So, so that's what that serves. So that's the passive side. But then also we have active rewards and the active rewards are, that's the other half, you know, currently it's 25,000 ocean a week allocated to the, the pass, the active, um, data farmers. And what the active data farmers do is they take their VE ocean that's locked and they can point it to different data assets. And, um, if you point it to uh, all of your VE ocean to a data asset that has all the consumed volume for that week, 100% of it, then you're going to get the highest possible rewards. If you point your all, all of your VE Ocean to a data asset that has no consumed volume, then you won't get any rewards. Um, and in between is in between, right? So um, overall, what it's doing is serving a curation function once again, um, where um, you want to try to predict which assets are going to have the highest consumed volume, you know, and consumed volume is the best best proxy for quality, right? There's all this theory about what makes a quality data set. Well, you know. The economic answer to quality data set is, well, are people buying it or not, right? It doesn't matter if, you know, you spent a year making your data set and you think it's wonderful, beautiful. If no one's buying it, then from an economic perspective, it doesn't matter, That's right? Close, yeah. So, so, so data consumed volume for an asset is a very good proxy for quality of the asset. It's not perfect, but it's very useful, especially in this context. So then, um, yeah, so if you're pointing your VE Ocean towards one or many data assets, you're curating on those. And then Ocean Market itself, um, by default, sorts to the assets that have the highest um, uh, 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 VE Ocean pointed to them. And we call that staking. So if you stake on an asset now, it means allocating your VE Ocean to that. Before, when we said staking on an asset, it meant how much liquidity did uh, that asset have in its in its pool. But you know, we turn off the pools and replace them with VE Ocean being pointed to the assets. And so this is so that's the summary basically of the mechanisms. Um, you know, we introduced VE Ocean, and then we introduced uh, the ability to point VE Ocean to a given asset without moving it. So it's just you know still locked and stuff. And then finally, we introduced um, reintroduced data farming, yeah. where data farming rewards are partly a function of um, the consumed volume of that asset. And so the, in the end, the benefits are um, you know the rug pulls are still gone, of course, because the pools the pools are gone. Therefore, rug pulls are gone. Therefore, impermanent loss is gone. Therefore, the pool draining attack is gone. Um, and at the same time, um, yeah, people like it now where they can lock ocean and allocate it, aka stake it, 
and they're not getting impermanent loss, yet they're getting yield, right? So, and the yields um, so far, um, you know, have been, if you're doing both a- passive and active, for the last several weeks, it's been around 10% APY, right? Um, and, you know, that's based on how much ocean has been um, locked into VE ocean and, um, and if you're doing active rewards and stuff. And over time, right now, it's just uh, 50,000 ocean being allocated, leading to that APY. As more ocean gets locked, more will be allocated. And we budgeted actually more, uh, I think it's about 40% of total ocean supply. Um, so that's something like on the order of, let's see here, about 600 million ocean tokens or so, 500 million, 600 million that's a lot, ocean yeah. tokens. Yeah, and this is over many years. So, um, But we see this as really data for- farming um, is sort of mimicking um, Bitcoin or ETH with all these, right? Driving um, behavior via token-based incentives um, towards the fundamental value proposition. In Bitcoin, it's about security. In Ethereum, it's about security, but also um, some related things. And Notion, it's about data consume volume. So we basically, you know, we're now really aggressively leveraging token mechanics to drive this. And it has been, actually. So maybe that the punchline here is that um, as of uh, a week ago, uh, we had 200,000 uh, US dollars worth of data consumed volume in just one week, right? So you multiply that up by 50 weeks and you've got a run rate of more than um, $10 million, right? Uh, which we're pretty happy about, right? Um, uh, and so that's, you know, you can view that as the, the run rate for sales and ocean market, if you will, of $10 million a year um, at the current value. Now it's been growing a lot, actually. So, you know, I think Last week it was 200k. The week before was I think um, maybe 150 or 100k. So uh, and it's going to be keep growing as the data farming incentives um, as we keep doubling down on those. And like I said, we've got a big budget around that. Now ultimately, you might people will ask, okay, well you're dispensing tokens, but uh, what happens then? Um, ultimately, you know this the data farming is set up for uh several years but um it's the first four or five years where the majority of tokens get dispensed and after that it fades away but by that time there will be uh this will lead to a huge number of assets in the ocean ecosystem um with you know high data consumed volume right because we only ramp up data consumed volume as sorry we only ramp up the tokens being dispensed as data consumed volume goes up um so at the end of the day, um, there, you know, fast forward three years, five years or more, there will be a very high number of assets with high data consumed volume in the ocean ecosystem. And, and then because of that, because of high data consumed volume, et cetera, this will lead to very good protocol revenue. And at the same time, the, the tokens being dispensed will have gone down. So ultimately, you know, the metric, uh, one metric is data consumed volume. Another metric is protocol revenue and, uh, ocean is nicely on track for that. So. Yeah, I guess that's a summary um, overall. Uh, I know it's a bit of a, a long answer, but hopefully it helps to flesh out what we've been up to yeah. uh, for the second half of the year. Yeah, no, no, I was actually listening very carefully. And um, also I was going to ask how it has helped in adoption, but I think you, you already answered that clearly this has been the year of adoption for you. Thank you for listening for this first part of interview with Trent McConaughey. We'll be back with the second part in around about two weeks, where we will talk more about Ocean, its 2023 plans, industry dynamics in general, and the future of AI.